What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here as usual. Thanks so much for joining us. We've got a special one for you today. We really do. Our guest this week was called the most popular psychiatrist in America by the Washington Post. We are speaking with the one and only Dr. Daniel Amen. He's also been dubbed the number one most influential mental health expert and advocate on the web by ShareCare. He's a double board certified psychiatrist, a brain imaging expert, and a 10-time New York Times bestselling author. 10 times. 10 bestselling books. And that's probably, if you asked him, his least favorite accomplishment. I'm just guessing. He has helped thousands, if not tens of thousands of people around the world deal with things such as anxiety, depression, and many other mental health issues through, most popularly, his brain imaging techniques, which we talk about at length in this interview. You may have heard of Dr. Daniel Amen. He's been on a bunch of big time shows, and as I mentioned, He's got 10 best-selling books, some of which you may have heard of, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, The Breakthrough Program for Conquering Anxiety, Depression, Obsessiveness, Lack of Focus, Anger, and Memory Problems. That is one long subtitle. Change Your Brain, Change Your Body. Also, Healing ADD. There's Healing Anxiety and Depression, Making a Good Brain Great, and many more. You can see, right? He focuses on the brain. It's pretty amazing. I'd come across Dr. Amen on multiple accounts. I'd read his book. I'm always trying to change my brain, you know, through different things. And it all really intrigued me. As you're going to hear, not everyone loves what he's doing. 
You know, he, he's definitely a maverick. He's on the cutting edge. Some say it's pseudoscience. But I think the haters tend to be the minority, and sometimes they just get the loudest voice. As I mentioned, he's a physician and double board certified psychiatrist and the founder and CEO of Amen Clinics, which has the world's largest database of functional brain scans relating to behavior, totaling nearly 100,000 scans on patients from 111 countries. And essentially what he believes is your brain is the essential part, right? To health and success, your brain's got to be in proper working order. He's got a few good one-liners and zingers in the interview that really call out what he does. So I'm not going to go into it too much more. I just wanted you to kind of grasp. He's one of the most well-respected in his field, and we were truly grateful to have him on the show. If you enjoy the show and you don't want to miss out, be sure to subscribe. Takes two seconds. You won't miss a show. And we were talking about, we were thinking about going on a little hiatus to actually start getting this new website we have drawn up created. So we're thinking about taking a little bit of a break. Not sure if that's going to happen, but if we do, if you're subscribed, you'll never miss out. Also, sign up for our newsletter at smartpeoplepodcast.com, bottom right-hand corner. We only send out a few things, and they're typically stuff you want, right? They're like free books or webinars, you know, maybe one or two emails a month. All right, going to turn it over to our interview with Dr. Daniel Amen. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, let us know on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. We hope to hear from you soon, and we'll catch you in the outro. Enjoy. Dr. Amen, thank you so much first for being on the show and taking time out of what I know to be an extremely busy schedule. So we're really thankful to have you on. Thanks for having me. I want to kind of start from, you know, I, I read an article and it talked about really when you started out, you were just a, a doctor at a small clinic. And see, when I came to know of you and, and learn about your books, you were already kind of the superstar in the field uh, of psychiatry. So I want to get a little background on how you got to become what honestly has been dubbed the most popular psychiatrist in the world. So how'd you get there? You know, growing up, I was one of seven children and my dad called me a maverick. But to him, that was not a good thing. Um, so I've always been pushing against the grain um, a little bit. And that actually happens to be more true for middle children than for older children. When I was 18, Vietnam was still going on and I had a birthday that meant I was going to be drafted. So I ended up joining and became an infantry medic where my love of medicine was born. Mm. But um, about a year into it, I just hated the idea of being shot at <laughs> and sleeping in the mud. So I got myself retrained as an x-ray technician and developed a passion for medical imaging. As our professors used to say, how do you know unless you look? And then I got out of the army and uh, – used my GI Bill to go to college and then medical school. And when I was in medical school, I was going to be a pediatrician because I love kids. But someone close to me tried to kill herself. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist. And I came to realize that if he helped her, which he did, it wouldn't just help her. It would help her children and even her subsequent grandchildren is they would be shaped by someone who was happier 
and more stable. Mm -hmm. So I fell in love with psychiatry because I realized it has the potential to change generations of people. But I picked the only medical specialty that virtually never looks at the organ it treats. And because of my imaging background, I thought, well, that's just nuts. You know, they were making diagnoses like they did in 1840 when Lincoln was depressed, talking to people, looking at people, looking for symptom clusters, and then giving them powerful medications without not one shred of information on how the brain works. And so in 1991, when I went to my first lecture on brain spectimaging, which is the study we do at Amen Clinics, it just completely changed my world. I mean, I was ready for it. I was excited about it. And um, because I'm sort of a pain in the neck, when other people told me I shouldn't be doing imaging, it's not what psychiatrists do. Um, well, I had already been fighting with my dad since I was five you know, telling him, you know, how the world should be. Right. And so the criticism just didn't bother me that much because if you don't look at someone's brain, you don't really know what's going on with it. And we should stop lying and thinking we do. And so over the last 25 years, we have built the world's largest database of brain scans related to behavior, and it has literally changed every single thing in my life, uh, from how I care for myself to how I care for my patients to um, even if you date one of my children, I'm going to scan you <laughs> because I want to know what your brain looks like uh, just about before anything else. Wow. that's that's. Uh, I'm glad that I never dated anyone related to you that would that'd be pretty terrifying <laughs> my my wife when i met tana about 10 years ago um two weeks later i knew i really liked her um smart pretty and i'm like after about two weeks i'm like you haven't seen the clinic <laughs> do you want to come and see the clinic and i literally scanned her then oh wow that, that's just i i don't know many people would run from right there but you know, I, I didn't plan on getting into SPECT so early. I didn't know anything about this until I started kind of reading up on you and all that. And as I'm sure you've answered questions like this all the time, but there's a lot of controversy around it. And I, I first, let's talk about what it is. So first off, what is SPECT and why is it such an important part of what you do? So SPECT is a brain imaging tool, and there are many brain imaging tools. We just happen to like this one the best for a lot of technical reasons. And it looks at blood flow and activity patterns. It looks at how your brain works. And it basically tells us three things. Good activity, too little, or too much. And then our job is to balance it. And when I first started doing it, there was already a really solid scientific literature for Alzheimer's disease, traumatic brain injury, epilepsy, and strokes. But there was also a fairly robust literature for obsessive compulsive disorder, drug and alcohol abuse, um, ADHD, and so on. Um, 
the controversy's uh, interesting because you know people say, oh well, you really shouldn't be using imaging; it's not ready, which is exactly what they said in 1991. So it means they have no interest in getting it ready. Right. Um, and without looking, you don't know, and so the outcomes in psychiatry are no better than they were in the 1950s. And and that is shameful uh, because the, the problem with not looking at the brain is it doesn't help stigma and it doesn't help compliance and it doesn't help the shame and guilt people have when they have a mental health issue when really, I actually hate the word mental health. Mm. Um, it should be brain health. Nobody wants to see a psychiatrist, even now. Um, I remember in 1980 when I told my dad I was going to be a psychiatrist, he asked me why I didn't want to be a real doctor, <laughs> why I wanted to be a nut doctor and hang out with nuts all day long. And, and it, it hurt my feelings. But now... 35 years later, I totally understand why he said that. It's, he's like, you spent all this time in hard sciences and medicine, and why do you want to go to, with a pseudoscience or, you know, at best, a soft science? And it's because we don't act like scientists. I mean, what other medical specialty doesn't look at the organ it treats? There's just not one. And my patients who have schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, addictions, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, they are just as sick as people who have cancer. And the illnesses I treat are just as lethal as cancer. And it's, I just think it's shameful that we haven't moved our specialty along faster. And initially, when I graduated from medical school, I wanted to be a really good psychiatrist and a writer. That was my goal, was to translate what other people were doing into language that was easy to understand for the general public. Because that's, quite honestly, that's a gift I have. Yeah. And that's something you're known for, you know, is, is kind of translating it to Oh, that makes sense, and it's it's in real world use case that I can that I can take. And so I I had not in my wildest dreams thought that I would be a troublemaker, um, a pioneer, um, you know, someone to blaze a new trail. But, you know, as we get into the interview, I'll tell you some stories that'll just blow your mind on how important the imaging is. For example, we published two studies that said as your weight goes up, the size and function of your brain goes down. And that should horrify anybody who's overweight. In fact, I lost 30 pounds after I figured that out. Um we did the big NFL study at a time when the NFL was lying. It had a problem. And psychiatrists see NFL players all the time because there's a high incidence of domestic violence, depression, suicide, homicide. And if you never look, you can be with the NFL and say, well, we really don't know if playing football causes long-term brain damage until you start scanning the players. And then virtually all of them 
have long-term brain damage. I mean, your brain is soft and your skull is hard and your skull has sharp bony ridges. You can't hit it repeatedly without it damaging it. You should just stop lying about that. Right. Um, and the, the thing that excited me the most about imaging was I became a more effective physician because I went into psychiatry because I wanted to change generations of people. Mm -hmm. But without looking, sometimes I would hurt people and it would horrify me um, that, you know, they're depressed. I would give them a medicine like Prozac and all of a sudden, you know, some people got better and some people wanted to kill themselves right. or kill somebody else. And so I started imaging in 1991, which is the same time all the controversy about Prozac came out. Prozac can make you kill your mother and all of that. And it's absolutely true if you give it to the wrong person. But if you don't look, how do you know who's the right person and who's the wrong person? And Because that's really interesting. I actually am fascinated by that. I heard a thing about the school shootings and the vast majority were on some type of SSRI either during or they had just gotten off, which can really cause some havoc. Um, and so, and, and I've read about it. I want to talk about a book I read earlier, which is called anatomy of an epidemic. And it's all about, uh, the rise of quote unquote mental illness. But how does this brain imaging tell you, Hey, Prozac isn't for them, you know? And, and if it's not Prozac, which is, you know, the go-to for say depression, where do you then go? I mean, I really want to get into how are people coming in into your clinic and and getting these these uh, better outcomes, you know, because most people, sadly, go to somebody, they get a standard drug and it's it's a shot in the dark. So we actually do a formal outcome study on every patient we see. In my research database today, I have 5,000 outcomes. So we have more outcomes, and our outcomes are better than anyone in psychiatry that publishes their outcomes. And they're better because we look at people's brains. Now, we take long, detailed histories because you got to understand the story of their life. And we should talk about the four circles of a person's life, in fact you know, with the horrible Orlando shooting uh, massacre that just happened. Mm -hmm. I started to write an article called The Four Circles of Terror, um, you know, because they're going to come out and the president's already come out and said, well, let's talk about gun control. And that's a wise thing to do. You know, after Sandy Hook, he came out and said, we need more mental health care. And that's a wise thing to do, except not mental health care like we're doing it now, because virtually all of the shooters have had mental health care. Right. Um, you know, James Holmes, uh, the Batman killer in Colorado, had just been fired by his doctor by a psychiatrist because she didn't know how to help him. Uh, Kip Kinkle, we actually have Kip's scan. He killed his mom and dad and then went to his high school and shot 25 people. Um, he had seen a psychiatrist had been put on Prozac, put on Ritalin and, uh, and, you know, we just, we have to do better. And when we scan Kip uh, for his trial, he had a devastated brain. It was very low in activity overall. So how do you tell? Do you give someone Prozac or do you not give them Prozac? 
So Prozac and Prozac's six sisters, so medications that raise serotonin, Lexapro, Celexa, Zoloft, Paxil, Luvox, Prozac. Um, well, they raise serotonin, and serotonin actually calms down brain activity. So if your brain is overworking, um, Prozac helps calm it down. But what if you start with low activity in the front part of your brain? It's already sleepy as it was in Kip Kinkle's case. Um, and then I give you something to calm it down. So I'm actually calming down a sleepy brain, which is basically I'm taking your frontal lobes offline, uh, which then disinhibits people and they can then do awful things. But if you don't look, you don't know and you're throwing medicated tipped darts in the dark at people and you can hurt people. And that's just wrong when we've had technology for 25 years that could help people. And it just seems the powers that be in psychiatry are so slow in embracing new technology. And, you know, there are political reasons and other reasons like how we diagnose people, the psychiatric Bible is called the DSM, the mm -hmm. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual from the American Psychiatric Association. And the APA makes millions of dollars every year on this book and this system of diagnosing people. But it's basically a cookbook. You meet six out of these nine criteria. You have depression, bipolar disorder, ADHD, OCD, PTSD, whatever. And there's just no biological information in that book. So if I'm right that imaging radically changes our outcomes and effectiveness, who loses? And we have a whole industry that loses because you can't see 40 patients a day in 15-minute med check appointments. You have to be much more helpful and not just with psychological um, treatments, you know, tell me about your family and let's solve these problems. You have to learn a whole new discipline of brain health and targeted brain interventions like I talk about in my book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. I mean, it was like a huge learning curve for me because and I'm a double board certified psychiatrist. I trained at the Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. It's a huge, you know, extremely well-respected military hospital. And as soon as I started looking at the brain, I went, uh-oh, there's a whole bunch of things I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so our training is wrong. Our diagnostic uh, Bible is incomplete at best, uh, misleading at worst. Um, and so we, we need, need a new discipline. And quite frankly, when you say that, to people who've invested their whole lives in the status quo, um, rather than say, oh, yeah, you're right, it's much easier for them to say, no, you're a charlatan, you should be burned at the stake. Well, and that makes sense. And it was one of the things I wanted to ask you. So when I read this book, Anatomy of an Epidemic, uh, have you heard of it? Are you familiar with it? By Robert I love Whitaker? it. I think it's actually one of the best books oh. that I've ever read. Yeah. So it, it really caught me off guard. 
um, because it, it it essentially talks about you know how these drugs, specifically Prozac, I think it was, came to be, and and it was like okay, psychiatry has now entered the the real medicine field because we can prescribe these, and I mean he just spells it out. So I guess my first question on that is. Is the neurotransmitter, and I don't know if I can call it a theory, but I'm going to call it a theory of of mental health or mental illness. Is that correct? I mean, is that really what's going on? Um, and then we just are prescribing the same drugs for too many things, or do we not even know what's causing mental illness in the first place? So I'd recommend everybody read Whitaker's book, The Anatomy of an Epidemic, and it will horrify you. Um, we, we do know what causes many mental illnesses, but too, for too long, we've taken such a simplistic approach. So let's just back up a little bit and talk about the four circles of understanding mm-hmm. people. So when I do a history on a patient or any of my doctors here at Amon Clinics. We have six clinics around the country, three on the East Coast and three on the West Coast. And we see about 4,000 patient visits a month. Um, And whenever we see somebody, we're always looking at the biological circle of their life. And that includes their genes. You know, what's your family? history because mental illnesses tend to run in families, bipolar disorder, alcoholism, uh, depression, ADHD, and so on. Um, How's your diet? Because if your diet's wrong, it it totally predisposes you to depression, ADHD, and dementia. Um, The standard American diet is increasing the incidence of mental illness in this country. What's your level of exercise? Have you been exposed to a toxin? Um, Mold exposure. I'm in a new movie called Moldy that was uh, produced by Dave Asprey, Bulletproof. Um, Mold will clearly make you depressed. You know, if you have a flood in your house or um, you work in a uh, mold-filled building. Um, If you have infectious disease like Lyme or syphilis, or HIV, um, damaging your brain will totally make you feel anxious and depressed. Um, if you had a head injury, I mean, it's why I got involved in our big NFL study. It's because I'd been seeing head injuries uh, cause panic disorder, ADHD, depression, dementia. Um, so you have to look at the biological aspects of a person's life. But you also have to look at the psychological aspects. We're not just our biology. You know, how do you think? Uh, Are you disciplined in your thinking? Or do you have sloppy thinking? What are your past experiences? Um, My wife and I do a lot of things together. And, you know, her one of her earliest memories is she's four years old and she remembered her mother and grandmother falling to the floor sobbing when they found out her uncle had been murdered. You know, you have four or five of those events that changes your chemistry. It changes your gut microbiome, uh, you know, chronic stress like that and predisposes you to mental health issues, um, your past failures, your past successes. Uh, So there's a biological circle 
that causes or contributes to mental illness. There's a psychological circle that contributes to mental illness. And there's a social circle. Who do you hang out with? If you hang out with hateful people, you're going to be more likely to hate, um, you know, thinking of, uh, you know, our homegrown terrorists. Uh, if you're with healthy people who are mission driven, you're more likely to be healthy and mission driven. Um, one of the biggest predictors of longevity is actually the health of the people you spend time with. Um, so choose your friends wisely. And then the fourth circle, which hardly any psychiatrists ever talk about, but I'm just a huge believer in it, is the spiritual circle, which is your connection to God, your connection to the planet, your connection to the past. So my grandfather, your connection to the future, my grandbabies. Um, why are you on the earth? What, what's your deepest sense of meaning and purpose? Viktor Frankl wrote about it decades ago um, and actually came up with his own form of psychotherapy called Logos Therapy, which is let's talk about the meaning and purpose in your life. But if you miss any of the circles, you lose. You do not get people well. And so it's not just brain imaging. So that's what I'm famous and infamous for. Um, but quite frankly, if I don't look, I don't know. And I'm not going to lie to my patients and act as if I do know. Uh, so that's a very important biological tool. But I also need psychological and social and spiritual tools to get people well. So you understand people in those four circles, but you also intervene in those four circles. Does that make sense? It does. It actually makes great sense. And the thing I was then wondering is, I understand they're all connected. Have you found that one is more important than the others or is one more prevalent? Than the others, I think they're all equally important. Mm. And, um, but you know, the story I open "Change Your Brain, Change Your Life" with is uh, Andrew, a nine-year-old boy who attacks a little girl on the baseball field for no particular reason. I got a call from his mother late one night, um, and she was crying. And I said, "What else is going on with him?" and she said, Dr. Amen, he's different. He's mean. And he doesn't smile anymore. And I went into his picture. I went into his room today and I found two pictures he had drawn. One of them, he was hanging from a tree. The other picture, he was shooting other children. So at nine years old, he was Columbine wow. or Orlando or Aurora waiting to happen. And 999 psychiatrists out of a thousand would have medicated him and put him in psychotherapy. But based on my imaging work, we scanned him. And he was actually missing his left temporal lobe. He had a cyst the size of a golf ball occupying the space of his temporal lobe in his brain. And when we got it taken out, his behavior completely went back to normal. Mm. And it turned out he was my godson, my nephew. Oh, wow. And, you know, 20 years later, he's employed. He has a girlfriend. He owns his own home. He's a great kid. 
And what would have happened if I wouldn't have looked? So I think of Andrew as my passion story. You know, he right. gives me passion, you know, be able to stand up to our critics and go, you know, just stop lying. If you don't look, you don't know. And sometimes when I tell the story, I cry because I think of all the people in jail who no one's ever looked at their brain. So we don't know if they've had toxic exposure. Mm. We don't know if they've had an infection. We don't know if they have a cyst or they had a brain injury. And we just treat them as bad when, in fact, they could be sick. And to really wrap your mind around that, it's a complete paradigm shift. It's so much easier to say people are bad than sick. Because if they're sick, we have a responsibility to help them. But yet, we put them in prison that are overcrowded, that have crappy food, that are chronically stressful. And somehow we try to call that rehabilitation and we should just stop lying because it's not. It's vengeance. And, you know, I mean, if that's your gig, awesome. But, you know, it's not mine. This week's episode is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven, inflated prices. Its award-winning sleep service was developed in-house, has a sleek design, and is delivered in a small, how-did-they-do-that sized box. In addition to the mattress, Casper also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. I have a Casper pillow, and it's honestly the best pillow I've ever used. Casper focuses on quality. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams for a sleep service that's got all the right sync and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. And with Casper, you can't beat the cost. Mattresses can often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin-size mattress, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. On top of the great quality and great price, Casper is also super convenient. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. So why is Casper so amazing? The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. With Casper, you get free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. Don't wait. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Oh, do we mention it's also made in America? We've got a special offer for all Smart People podcast listeners. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com smart and using the offer code SMART. 
That's www.casper.com smart and use the offer code SMART. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to the episode. Well, and I think, don't you feel like that we, we are, as a society, coming to understand that? I mean, I just get this sense that we realize the prison system is wrong. We realize we incarcerate more, more people than any other country on earth, despite our size. We realize that, you know, you're more likely to come back after you've been to prison. Um, it just seems like a broken system. And what blows my mind then is, right, if you Google, go ahead, Google your name, you know, and you'll see good stuff and bad stuff about, well, this isn't proven yet. But what, what not, you know, really doesn't make sense to me is neither is the stuff that we've been doing for 20 or 30 years. And in fact, that has been proven harmful. And so it almost seems obvious. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't, I mean, I guess we'll have to talk to Google. <laughs> I, I don't know. If you Google me, something like 13 million hits come back. And 95% of them are awesome. Mm-hmm. And then the haters just tend to be upfront. Right. Sort of irritating. Right. But we had this very cool thing happen this year. Um, Last year, I published two studies on separating traumatic brain injury from post-traumatic stress disorder, particularly relevant in soldiers coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. One of the studies was on 20,000 people. Well, in January of this year, Discover Magazine came out with a whole issue on the top 100 stories in science for last year. Well, I'm number 19. Um... You know, 18 was Tesla's new battery and 20 was the discovery of a new dinosaur species. Well, 19 says brain scans may aid in the diagnosis of psychiatric patients. And it was listed as the 19th top story in all of science. So not all of medicine or all of psychiatry, but all of science. And, And I'm really proud of that because... That's what, where I think our work really belongs. We are trying really hard to radically change a medical specialty. And I don't get the criticism. I think the criticism should be directed at a broken system. Sure. And, you know, someone who's trying to change it. I mean, am I right on everything? Absolutely not. Um, but I'm right on a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. We have outcomes. We have the outcomes to prove it. And so we saw this woman last June who's a really high-functioning, bright CEO. Um, But her memory wasn't as good. And she had Alzheimer's disease in her family. And she'd brought her kids here because they were struggling in school. And one of the kids had just completely transformed her life. And when we scan... Terry, at 62, her brain looked awful. Um, She'd had a concussion. She had toxic exposure. uh, She used to race cars. Many CEOs act like that. Um, She'd been electrocuted. When you just look at her history, you can see why her brain just looked like crap. And, And it took her a while. It took her four or five months to get really serious about brain health. But on the right diet, supplements, and I even put her in a hyperbaric chamber for 40 sessions because I know that boosts blood flow to the brain. Um, 
11 months later, her brain is stunningly beautiful. And we literally changed the trajectory of her life because she was older when she had kids. So at 63, her kids now are only 18 and 20. And so imagine 20 years from now when she's cognitively impaired, she is going to be a burden to her babies rather than able to be the leader of her family. And I'm excited about that. It's a story we see happen at Amen Clinics all the time. People fall in love with their brains and then they start to treat them better. But what I've come to believe over the last 10 years or so is that we're in a war for the health of our brains. Everywhere you go, someone is trying to shove bad food down your throat, put a toxic thought in your head, addict you to a gadget that steals your attention span. So you may have seen this study from Microsoft. The human attention span is now eight seconds. Mm -hmm. A goldfish is nine seconds. I mean, this is clearly evolution going the wrong way. And if you're not armed and prepared, you're going to lose. And it means your cognitive health is not going to be good. Two-thirds of us are overweight. And, you know, I said earlier, as you wake, your weight goes up, the size and function of your brain goes down. It's the biggest brain drain in the history of the United States. So I'm really working hard. So, you know, on one front, I'm fussing with my colleagues. Uh, in fact, I don't really even consider myself a psychiatrist. I think mm -hmm. of myself as a clinical neuroscientist. Mm -hmm. Is I want to look at and optimize your brain. And in the process, your mood will be better. Your behavior will be better. Your relationships will be better. Um, but on the other hand, I want to educate our society, and I've been blessed to be able to do that on public television. Um, I want to educate our society about you can have a better brain, and I can prove it. Here are the things you can do that hurt your brain, and here are the things you can do to help your brain. And if you love your brain, if you love yourself, you want to always stay in the category of doing things to help it. Right. Well, and let's talk about that. So, you know, diet, I think, is fairly self-explanatory. Um, we've had a lot of nutrition folks on the on the show and, you know, eat whole foods, eat healthy fats, eat fruits and vegetables. Got it. I think the, the toughest thing to do, and, and this is assuming we can't walk into your clinic and go through the full evaluation and write-up and testing, but the toughest thing to do is change your thoughts. I mean, maybe that's me personally, but... I hear from a lot of people. I've coached people, trained people. Um, what are your recommendations or, or at least what are your maybe top one or two on look, guys? If you want to strengthen that portion of your brain and really get it going, here's what you have to do. Because in my opinion, that seems to be the greatest struggle with, with myself and with people I know, especially successful people, is working too much, stressing too much, thinking too much, taking on too much. Where you bring your attention determines how you feel. So we have to start with that. If you want to manage your mind and your mood, you just have to know what you focus on, what you think about, ultimately will drive your behavior, will drive your 
actions will drive your feelings. And so um, one of the little habits I have people do is whenever their feet hit the floor in the morning, it's say to yourself, today is going to be a good day. Because what that's going to do is that's going to cause you to look for the good things about your day. Whenever you feel sad or mad or nervous or out of control, I want you to keep a journal and write down what you're thinking. Um, I call negative thoughts ants, automatic negative thoughts. They infest people's minds. They really provide, it's when it's in the psychological circle, it's the gasoline for panic disorders, anxiety, depression, relationship problems, work-related problems. So whenever you feel mad, sad, nervous, out of control, write down what you're thinking and then just ask yourself, is it true? I mean, can you really know that that's true? So if I think, you know, my wife never listens to me. If, if I don't question the thought, I believe it 100%. And then I act out of the belief, even if it's an erroneous thought. So if I think my wife never listens to me, I feel isolated, I feel alone, I feel angry. And But if I go, my wife never listens to me, is that true? No, she listens to me a lot. We have a lot of great conversations. I mean, maybe she was distracted or stressed out about her 12-year-old or whatever. Um, but if I don't question my negative thoughts, I believe them. So, for example, you know, because, you know, we talked about some of the negative stuff about me on the Internet. And if I, I thought, well, everybody hates me, everybody thinks I'm a charlatan, whatever it is. Um, if I believe that, it'll make me anxious and sad and not able to do my mission in life. But if I go, hmm, is that true? Well, we have 5,000 medical and mental health professionals who've referred patients to us. So obviously it's not true. Right. Right. Now, I don't want to do the grandiose thoughts like, oh, you're the best doctor that ever lived because I'm not. And, you know, so and this is going to sound really crazy. You might think this is really crazy. Positive thinking is not necessarily a good idea. What I want is accurate thinking. I always, one of my favorite Bible verses is John eight thirty two, Know the truth and the truth will set you free. And um, there's a group at Stanford that did a long study on um, the longest longevity study ever done. It was done over 90 years. Um, in 1921, they evaluated 1,548 10-year-old kids. And then they followed them for 90 years until, you know, even some of them reached 100 years old, looking at what goes with success, health, and longevity. And it was not happiness or a lack of worry. In fact, the don't worry, be happy people died the earliest uh -huh. from accidents and preventable illnesses. The people who lived the longest were conscientious. 
which meant when they said they're going to show up, they show up consistently, repeatedly. Um, and they were the most honest with themselves because the reason the don't worry, be happy people die the earliest was positive thinking gone overboard. Um, oh, I just passed one of the fast food places. I can go in and have, you know, two helpings of pancakes and a big glass of orange juice and a milkshake and I will be healthy, which is like complete nonsense. I, I want people to have enough anxiety that they do the right thing. But what about the other side of that equation, which I think is I, I think way less people fall into the don't worry, be happy than into the if I worry, I will be able to avoid pain, you know, whatever it is, fear, destruction, loss, uh, which I'd imagine is what you see more of, especially when, as it relates to depression, anxiety, panic, all that. Yeah, you know, actually, I'm not sure that's true. Really? Um, I think because of advertising and the repeated visions we get on TV of beautiful half-naked women eating cheeseburgers, that there's an unconscious association between cheeseburgers and sex, which is completely irrational because you know those models don't really eat those burgers. And if you eat that way, they are not going to want you. So, and, and that is so pervasive in, in our society. So if two-thirds of us are overweight, and brand new study, just out last week, 40% of women are obese. 40%, four out of 10 women are not overweight, they're obese. That, that perhaps, well, I mean, one, we, we really don't have the right information. People still think low fat is good for you, and I think it's a disaster for you because low fat usually means high sugar. Um, and you guys have already probably talked about that. Sure. But I, my goal is to raise someone's anxiety enough that they will fall in love with their brain and do the right thing. But it's not, not natural in our society at all. Um, now, getting well is not hard. It's just you have to shift your mindset to be in love with yourself rather than a victim of either the pharmaceutical companies or the uh, food companies that make us think there's a pill for every ill or um, if I don't eat this particular, you know, triple-decker sandwich, then I'm missing out on life. So we have to shift our mindset to if I eat right, that's really a sign of love. Um, in the new book I have coming out with my wife in November. It's called The Brain Warrior's Way. We talk about um, mindset and are you a sheep or a sheepdog? And we go into great detail on the differences between the two. Sheep are herding animals. They flock. They go with the, what other sheep are doing, they're easily led. If one jumps off a cliff, 
others are likely to follow. Um, in fact, in Turkey, one actually jumped off a cliff and 1,500 uh, other sheep followed, which reminds me when I was a kid. My dad used to say, if your friend's going to jump off a bridge, are you going to go with them? Um, and in the case of sheep, the answer is yes. Um, and they become lamb chops, uh, where sheepdogs, purposeful, mission-driven, highly trained, and they love their sheep, even when the sheep don't love them back. And, and I think we need to have a much more protective mindset for the health of our brains and our bodies because what's happening in our society is it's a nightmare when, when you just think of the statistics depression has gone up 400 percent since 1987 alzheimer's is expected to quadruple um new study out uh, just a couple of months ago in jama the journal of the american medical association 50 Five zero percent of the population is either diabetic or pre-diabetic. I hate that because diabetes is associated with all sorts of illnesses, including Alzheimer's disease and depression. So I'm really trying to help people get serious, have a sheepdog mindset, because ultimately it's not just about you. We're, we're learning now through this new discipline in genetics called epigenetics that it's literally about generations of you. We've discovered that your habits turn on or off certain genes that make illnesses more or less likely in you, of course, but also in your babies and your grandbabies. Right. And so I'm horrified if you just think about you know, if we think about terrorism and what's going on in Syria, so all the children there, they're the whole generation of, and we have really five generations of people that have grown up with hatred and fear and depression and malnutrition. Um, but the, the babies there now, growing up in civil war with constant anxiety, stress, and fear. It is literally changing their genes so that their own babies are more likely to be anxious, fearful. And I'm guessing we're going to find that racism and hatred are transmitted epigenetically as well. Yeah. Well, and I think that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier when I was saying I would imagine, although TV commercials show, you know, half naked women and uh, eating burgers. I, I think most people know that burgers aren't good for them. It's just that they don't have the willpower or the want or uh, or the money or you know to eat better. I feel like it's not a lot that don't have the knowledge. But what I was saying is, you know, given as you mentioned, all in Syria and in in war torn areas, the stress there comes from that. And then I feel like in a lot of the Western parts of the world, the stress comes from what we have created. I mean, if you think about, like you said, eight seconds in a, uh, is our attention span, that's because of our own creations. And so our brain is negatively impacted and it's kind of this cycle because then we get caught in our thoughts. And so things like writing it down and eating a healthy diet help. Um, what else do you prescribe, you know, medically or non-medically to, uh, 
to your patients to, to deal with that, to really strengthen their brain. I mean, I just, cause then I want to talk about this free course you have, but I want to see if, you know, for those that can't go into your clinic, if they got, you know, two minutes with Dr. Amen, what would he tell them? So the, so let's just keep it really simple and say brain health is really three things. Brain envy, got to care about it. Nobody cares about their brain because you can't see it. I mean, as soon as Terry saw her brain that was damaged, she cared. And she was smart enough to then not get depressed about it, but to fall in love with it. So I always say Freud was wrong. Penis envy is not the cause of <laughs> most people's problems. It's brain envy. Mm. You know, he was about two and a half feet too low in the body. <laughs> Um, you got to care about the three pounds of fat between your ears. Um, the second thing is really avoid anything that hurts your brain. So you have to know the list. Um, so brain injuries should be obvious, but they're not. You know, the American Youth Soccer Organization banned heading for children 10 and under. Oh, wow. Well, what the heck? Don't they like 11-year-olds or 12-year-olds or 14-year-olds? It's like, you have to be kidding me. The brain is not finished developing until you're 25. Why would you put um, anyone above 10? And they said, oh, well, that's what we could get through the you know, political meeting, which I just think is complete nonsense. Um, you should not let your children play tackle football. There's just no way to make it safe. And I played football. And I actually on my scan can see evidence of damage from it, which is much better than the first scan I had. But uh, there's just no way to make it safe. Um, I'm actually going to the Vatican to speak at a conference at the end of August, and we're going to play ping pong <laughs> because that's the best brain game. Oh. You know, there are virtually no brain injuries with table tennis. Uh, they just gave the Pope the most beautiful table tennis table. Um <laughs> So brain injuries, avoid drugs, alcohol, marijuana is not good medicine. I'm going to get ready to publish a study on a thousand potheads and showing it decreases blood flow overall to the brain compared to a healthy group. Uh, alcohol is not a health food. And, you know, we were talking before the interview about your interest in gut health. Yeah. And so why do nurses put alcohol swabs on your skin before they give you an injection mm, to clear to, to kill all the bacteria to kill everything that's there right so why are we drinking alcohol right when our guts have a hundred trillion a hundred trillion bacteria and other microorganisms that support our digestion that make neurotransmitters that um help build an immune system for us. So I think we've been completely sold a bill of goods because a lot of people actually think it's healthy for them to have two glasses of red wine a day. But according to a study from Johns Hopkins, people who drink every day have a smaller brain. And when it comes to your brain, size matters. So back to brain envy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we want to avoid insomnia or not sleeping seven or eight hours a night because with less sleep comes less blood flow to the brain. Only recently it was discovered that 
the reason we sleep is to clean our synapses, that the brain actually cleans or washes itself at night. And it doesn't do that during the day because it's too busy doing other things. Sleep apnea triples the risk of Alzheimer's disease, uh, as does diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, um, and having untreated ADD or untreated depression increases the risk as well, chronic stress. You also want to avoid high blood sugar uh, levels, uh, low testosterone, low thyroid, uh, and so on. So in Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, I talk about all the things to avoid. And then the things to do, love your brain, obviously, but it's eat right. So I think high fat, healthy fat, protein, and colorful vegetables, that that's the best brain healthy diet with a lot of spices because spices are literally like medicine mm. for the brain. Sage, garlic, rosemary, thyme, turmeric, um, and exercise, but not marathoning. It's too stressful. It mm -hmm. completely damages your gut, which in turn damages your brain. So I like interval training and strength training and coordination exercises, and then be eternally curious and new learning along with uh, some supplements, depending on your brain at amenclinics.com. People can actually take a free online test, uh, a brain health assessment to sort of get a baseline uh, to know about the health of their brain. And then as you mentioned before we run out of time, my wife Tana and I, every week we teach a live class. It's free. It's called The Brain Warrior's Way, based on our two new books coming out in December. And if people want to sign up for that, then go to brainwarriorswaylive.com. Brainwarriors with an S, waylive.com. Yeah, and thanks for mentioning that. And for our listeners, I actually joined that uh, prior to even knowing I was going to have Dr. Raymond on the show. So this is totally a, a legit uh, endorsement, but and you know I, I'm looking forward to getting in because I haven't had a chance yet. But as you mentioned, it's archived, so if people go, they can kind of catch up. Isn't that correct? Right, and they can actually get their black belt in health. So there are six belts uh, that people can earn, and you have to watch four lessons and fill out the journal at the beginning and at the end, and then we'll award you with the black belt. And by the time you get to um, the end, which is week 26, you'll get your black belt in health. So we're pretty excited about it. And they're great topics. We did a whole hour on gut, the gut-brain connection. I know. I um, can't wait to dive into that one. Tomorrow night we're going to do on how people change. Uh, we did a whole lesson on killing the ants, the automatic negative thoughts, which uh, people just found so valuable. So uh, we'd love it if uh, people in your audience joined us. Absolutely. Well, we will go ahead and put a link to that. And also, as you mentioned, uh, Amen Clinics. And you have a number of books. Uh, you know, my favorite being Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. Uh, but recommend those highly. Dr. Amen, thank you so much for your time. As you mentioned, you have six clinics and all types of stuff going on. So we really appreciate you taking the time and, and also uh, moving this forward, moving this industry forward that is obviously, uh, or, or, you know, this, this uh, I don't know, this field forward that is obviously lagging for, for certain reasons. So uh, thank you again, and thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Chris. All right. Have a great day, Dr. Amen.
You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Daniel Amen. His book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, can be found on Amazon or at your local bookstore. If you decide to purchase through Amazon, please don't forget to use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. That comes at no cost to you. You click the link, do your Amazon shopping as you normally would. We get a nice little kickback from Amazon. Again, no cost to you, but greatly helps out the show. If you're looking for other easy ways to help out the show, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a rating, review, comment. Give us a star rating over there. It really, really does help out the show. So if you can take a couple minutes out of your day, that would be absolutely awesome. We've got some great shows coming up, so make sure you stay tuned over at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hit the subscribe button. If you want to reach out to the show, you can shoot us an email at smartpeoplepodcast.gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. That's it for this week. We've got some great interviews coming up, and we will see you all next week. Next week.